0: Ben Weingarten for Encounter Books, and today I'm joined by Doug Schoen, author of The Nixon Effect How Richard Nixon's Presidency Fundamentally Changed American Politics. Doug has been one of the most influential Democratic campaign consultants for over 30 years and is a regular contributor to The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post. And several other newspaper and online publications, as well as Fox News. He's also published several other books, including notably Return to Winter Russia, China, and the New Cold War Against America, and Hopelessly Divided. Doug, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Uh, Ben, thanks for having me.
0: Doug, you write in a later chapter of The Nixon Effect of the parallels between Richard Nixon and a president who you advised closely, Bill Clinton. And you write, and I quote, Clinton had learned the Nixon lesson well. Redeem your own party's public appeal by isolating its most untenable factions, co-opt the good parts of the opposition party while marginalizing the rest, and above all, speak to Central American concerns and values. Unquote. Is that the fundamental lesson of Richard Nixon's political life? It's part of it. Um, Nixon was
1: influential because he was able to co-opt the right wing of the Republican Party, the center of the Democratic Party, and also implement policies both uh, internationally and domestically that have literally had impact from his presidency all the way through to, to today.
0: The thing that I find so interesting about it when you talk about Nixon's legacy to today is that there's sort of an ironic argument embedded in Nixon's presidency, which was that he took sort of heterodox policies when you look at it on on the traditional conservative versus liberal spectrum, but you write that he, quote, planted the seeds of the polarization and partisan warfare that characterize our politics today, unquote. How do we go from a president who, as, as you write, basically tacked to the left on certain issues but still kept a Republican coalition together to the partisan politics and polarization of today?
1: Well, very good question, Ben. The Democrats reacted against what they saw was a tack to the right, and they moved left both on substantive issues and a desire to eliminate the type of corruption they saw in the Nixon administration. The Republican Party, for reasons related to your first question about uh, Nixon moving to the center, uh, reacted by moving right in the, indeed, whole Proposition 13 Tea Party Style movements were a reaction against Nixon style centrism. So I argue in the Nixon effect that what
0: President Nixon did was to polarize the system on the left and the right. Domestically, where you talk about Nixon's centrism, I found it interesting that one recurring theme was that Nixon would sort of talk tough like a conservative, but then govern like a moderate. Can the reverse be done as well? Talking like a moderate and governing as someone with true conservative or on the opposite side, leftist ideological principles?
1: I I think that's I think it's true. And I think it's possible. Uh, George Bush started in that vein. The so-called compassionate conservatism, which morphed into just straight-on hard-line conservative. But Ronald Reagan, I think, spoke in a way that was
0: um, frequently much softer and more inclusive and his real policies. On the foreign policy side, what are the great lessons from Nixon? And you speak to, of course, the always famous Nixon going to China, his views on Russia, Vietnam. What are the lessons that we're to take from his presidency?
1: I think what we need to take from the presidency are a couple of things, which is first, that one man can make an enormous difference politically, uh, substantively, domestically, and globally that the notion of an impotent presidency is just uh, wrong. And second, that the impact of a presidency can be long-lasting and enduring. And third, that you need to have a strategy about what you're trying to achieve so that you can, in fact, make the kind of differences I've suggested a president can make.
0: And to that end, when you speak to the legacies, one area of focus on the foreign policy side that you speak to is the fact that, and we can look at a number of openings over time that occurred that you tie back to things that Nixon did when he was in office. You speak to the fact that Nixon's opening of China, and I'm quoting here, is the silent context for Reagan's victory in the Cold War, unquote. Explain that.
1: Well, what Nixon was able to do was to balance... United States' interest between Russia and China to play China off effectively against Russia. And what Reagan was able to do was to engage in power politics to get the Russians to accede to, as he put it, tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev. And it was because of the influence and legacy of Nixon that I think Reagan was able to be as successful as he indeed was.
0: What was Nixon's legacy with respect to the Republican Party? And then if you could tell us what his legacy was with respect to the Democrats, because it was wide ranging on both sides.
1: Sure. In terms of the Republicans, it was the pivot to the South, uh, the so-called silent majority, and the building up of a Republican majority, something that is increasingly challenging for them to do. For the Democrats... The message was, if you do not stay in the center and you allow the Republicans to do that, which we may see from Donald Trump in his own way this election, you can run the risk of losing the center and losing the election.
0: That that provides a natural segue into, and obviously we always, when we're looking at history and then looking at the current political goings-on, we probably project more lessons from the past onto figures that are current today than may actually be there but when you read this book you see a number of parallels interestingly between two people with differing personalities probably differing intellectual and and political interests In Trump and Nixon, but so many parallels, the ones that I see that come to mind naturally are basically Trump taking over leftist ground so that Democrats can't hold those positions and it forces them into a corner. On the other hand, him speaking with rhetoric that appeals to both populists on the one hand and to probably somewhat of a lesser degree conservatives. And of course, Trump has surrounded himself with folks who advise Nixon, like Roger Stone, and you talk about Newt Gingrich being an acolyte of Nixon in your book. Gingrich certainly seems to be at least a surrogate or or positive spokesperson for Trump. What are the parallels between Nixon and Trump, and do you see them?
1: Well, I think you've stated them very well. I have to add but one point, which I think uh, your listeners will enjoy. In 1987... Richard Nixon wrote a letter to Donald Trump saying, Dear Donald, um, uh, the political expert in the household, Pat, happened to catch you on Phil Donahue, Donahue and believes that you are a natural and will win any election you will run in. So from the grave, Richard Nixon has uh, arguably and potentially presciently predicted the result of the 2016
0: presidential election. You also reference in your book how there were a number of other things that Nixon predicted, like the rise of Vladimir Putin, for example, even claiming that Bush might lose the Cold War ultimately, which is just fascinating that he had that prescience. Another question related to this election, Nixon, Trump, and Hillary as well. Do you think that where we are in America today, issues are of secondary importance to rhetoric theater, and perception. So in other words, someone like a Nixon would have struggled more today when personality and that cult of personality is such a big part of campaigns relative to maybe the way it once was? Well,
1: I think that certainly personality matters more. We have the 24-hour news cycle. We have cable, TV, talk radio. They didn't exist in the 60s and 70s um, in anywhere near the degree to which they do today, Uh, but I think issues do matter, Ben, and I think President Nixon proved that issues matter, and what startles me about this election is we are facing an economic crisis in the country, and no one, neither Trump nor Secretary Clinton, is talking about an economic agenda
0: focusing on growth. Well, although Hillary Clinton did say that her husband would be the economic czar in her White House, so there is that saving grace, I guess.
1: There there, there is, and for those of us who are Bill Clinton loyalists, we like it. But somehow, running for president, saying your husband is going to be in charge, is not exactly uh, the way I would have advised her to handle it. (laughs)
0: So, so so to that end. We all know about Hillary Clinton's limitations in terms of her skills are sort of the polar opposite or the other side of the coin of Bill Clinton's where he was a great retail politician and warm and endearing and made you feel like the center of attention and I'm sure you can describe it better than I can as an observer. So Hillary has her limitations. It seems to me that the the kind of ground that she's trying to fight this election on is basically she'll fight on being the substantive, serious candidate who actually knows things about how the world works, whereas Donald is prone to error and a cowboy and unpredictable and rash and the like. And Hillary's surrogates, meanwhile, in her campaign will go about trying to destroy Donald Trump personally. Do you think that is that the strategy, in your view, and do you think that actually works?
1: Well, I don't think we really know what Secretary Clinton's strategy is. I mean, I think we have a sense the super PAC is going to hit Donald Trump hard, but we don't have a clear sense what their message is, and I don't think we have a clear sense what Secretary Clinton's message is either. Donald Trump is coalescing in the Republican Party, and as we sit here today, whether he's a little ahead or a little behind, as the polls suggest, Clearly, he's in the driver's seat in terms
0: of of momentum. One could see, especially based on exit polling from West Virginia, for example, Trump picking up sizable numbers of Democrats in Appalachia and, and certainly in the South as well. In other words, winning by bigger majorities in southern states. Do you think that he will seriously move the needle in terms of winning Democrats in contested states that could push him over in a general election? And have you quantified it at all? Well, I haven't
1: quantified it, but if you look at the polling that came out last week from Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Florida, three critical swing states, Trump was within the margin of error. And if he wins Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Florida, pretty darn good bet he'll be the next president of the United States.
0: Could you envision a scenario in which Republicans lose the Senate but win the presidency? It's possible, yes. Absolutely. That could happen. I I will ask also on the Democratic side, since we've started to really see fissures uh, in Nevada most recently, um, and and in the starkest uh, example, do you you see any scenario in which the investigations into Hillary Clinton really could sink her candidacy? And if so, would Joe Biden be the white knight? And what would that do to Bernie Sanders supporters?
1: Well, I don't know that Joe Biden's going to be the white knight. But I do believe that Secretary Clinton is becoming increasingly um, uh, in a position where she's going to be reliant on Bernie Sanders. And I think Democratic elders are becoming increasingly nervous about Secretary Clinton's electability. And if there's any hint from the Justice Department of any impropriety from either Secretary Clinton or her staff, you're going to see Democratic elders, and the vice president, I think making a quick move to get in a race that Bernie Sanders will feel is by all rights his. For,
0: for those of us who consider ourselves ideological conservatives or ideological leftists, what are the lessons from Nixon on a tactical and a strategic basis for advancing the policies and the principles that we care about? You have to be inclusive, You have to appeal to a broad audience. Your rhetoric has
1: to um, advance your political and substantive goals. And there needs to be a clear strategy going forward rather than taking it day by day, hour by hour, as many politicians do in this
0: current climate. Lastly, what is the legacy of Watergate?
1: The legacy of Watergate is a fundamental flaw in a president and presidency playing itself out in a way that destroyed the Nixon presidency. What I try to argue in the Nixon effect is if you look at the totality of the record and the man, you can see a more profound and indeed uh, uh, substantive set of accomplishments that span global affairs, domestic affairs and in a, in a variety of different ways, impacted the left, the right, the Democrats, Independents, and Republicans in ways that
0: arguably, until my book, I don't think it'd been fully
1: appreciated.
0: The name of the book is The Nixon Effect, How Richard Nixon's Presidency Fundamentally Changed American Politics. And we've been speaking with its author, Doug Schoen. Doug, it's always a pleasure, and thank you so much for taking ben, the time. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. For more from Encounter Books, visit us at encounterbooks.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Intro and outro, courtesy of Kurt Files.